the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Some of the book of Esther, we're going to read through this, and some of it is complicated. It is a bit complex. And the reason is in large part because this book describes some dark stuff. It describes a pagan, godless Persian culture. That's why we're going to read some stuff like we did in chapter 1 about a drunken dinner party out of control. We're going to read also in chapter 1 the dishonoring of a woman. Chapter 2, the mistreatment, the violation of virgin girls. We're also going to read about an assassination plot. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Esther. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Esther, he'll be explaining how God always has his people in exactly the right positions at exactly the right time. The kingdom of Persia was an extremely wicked and godless one. And God knew that a plan would be made to eradicate all the Jewish people. So he set up Esther as queen. God is sovereign and he will not allow his plans to be changed. He has his followers exactly where he wants them in order to be used by him to help further his kingdom and purposes. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Esther chapter 2 for part 2 of today's message titled, The Misery of Our Glory. This is what begins to happen. And, and one who is among the finalists of Miss Persia contest is none other than Esther herself, the one after whom this book is named. Now, Esther is not her given Jewish name. She is Jewish. Her given Jewish name, chapter 2, verse 7, tells us was Hadassah. Hadassah in Hebrew means myrtle. It's a beautiful tree. It's a beautiful name. But she is given a, Bab- a Babylonian Persian name after the goddess of fertility, Ishtar. Her name is Esther, and that's her name throughout the book. Because she's living in Persia, okay? She's a Jew living in Persia as a result of the exiles that had been taken in captivity to Persia under King Nebuchadnezzar. But, remember this story takes place between Ezra chapter 6 and 7. The first group of 50,000 Jewish exiles have already gone back to Jerusalem. For whatever reason, her family has decided to stay here in Persia. And here she is among the finalists in the Miss Persia contest. We know from chapter 2 that she is an orphan. Her parents have died. We know from chapter 2 that Mordecai, who is her older cousin, has taken on the role of being the guardian parent. He's like a father to her. 
Mordecai, again, mentioned 58 times throughout the book of Esther. He is someone that God will use to encourage her and to give her counsel and wisdom. As part of the selection process for replacing the the queen, all of these contestants are brought together to the palace where they undergo, chapter 2 tells us, 12 months of beauty treatments. A whole year. A whole year of beauty treatments for one encounter with the king. It tells us six months of treatments with myrrh and six months of perfumes and cosmetics. Beauty is expensive. <laughs> All the men say, ultra expensive. <laughs> Did you know I happened to look up some stats in preparation for this study? that American women spend more money on cosmetics than any other country in the world. American women, how much do you spend on cosmetics? I'm glad you asked. This is how much you spend. (laughs) $27.6 billion every year on cosmetics. That's what women spend in America. $27.6 billion. I had a man come up to me after last night's service, and he said, yeah, I think my wife bought a billion of it herself. (laughs) 27 point six billion dollars and by the way a little etymology on the word cosmetics which is just a fancy word for saying what is the root of the word cosmetics you might be curious to know it is from the Greek word cosmos which means a well-ordered universe so ladies if your universe needs to be well ordered it's fine it's in the Bible let's move on now Not just a year of beauty treatments, but also, and this gets a little more serious, look at verse 14 again. Verse 14 tells us that the girls would be required to take turns spending the night with the king. They'd have to sleep with the king. You would go through all these beauty treatments for one year to have one night with the king. You'd go to his bed. And if he liked you, He'd call you back. And if he didn't like you, the text tells us, he would send them away until one girl was left standing. That was the selection process. And the one left standing was Esther. Look further down in chapter 2, verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. All right? So Esther is now chosen to replace Vashti as the new queen of Persia. At the time that Xerxes picks her, best guess is that Esther is between 18 to 20 years of age. And Xerxes, we know historically, was about 35. Okay? Now, if you think this is a terrible way to choose a wife, you're right. I mean, the idea that there would be a contest between a bunch of beautiful women who are recruited to impress a single guy, and then the guy sleeps with the finalists until one is left standing, if that's bothersome to you, like, that's a terrible way to choose a wife, you're right. It should be bothersome. And if that's bothersome to you, then so should the TV show. You're like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Well, just use your imagination. Could, 
who in their right mind would think that a reality TV show would actually emerge from this story? The idea that there would be this eligible single bachelor looking to be married. And so what they do is they string a bunch of beautiful women in front of him for him to decide which ones he likes and which ones he doesn't. And the ones he likes, he wants to have another date with. And the ones he doesn't, he sends her home with tears. And then until finally, it gets down to a few final contestants. And then he takes them to the fantasy suite where he just makes sure everything is compatible. And then after all that, it narrows down to one. But who will be that one to step out of the limousine and get that last rose from Xerxes the Bachelor? I hate that show. I hate that show. Some of you are like, no, 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 that's so romantic. No, it's not. That's Esther chapter 2. It's just that they get a rose instead of a crown. The exact same thing happens. Not much has changed in 2,500 years. It's ridiculous. I think it's romantic. No, it's not. Only wives are not chosen that way. Only a Persian perv does that kind of a thing. And that's what you have going on here. King Xerxes is like, yeah, bring me a bunch of virgin girls. Line them up. I'll sleep with each one. And then I'll decide which one is the one to win the crown. Ridiculous. We would never make a show about that. I digress. Now, to be honest with you, as glamorous as all this sounds, I mean, 12 months of beauty treatments, getting manicures and petties, and that the spa of your choice for 12 whole months. Isn't this wonderful? Sounds so luxurious. Well, to be honest with you, what we're reading here is more like sex trafficking than it is a beauty contest. These are virgin teenage girls who have been recruited for the most powerful man on the earth at this time so that he can selectively sleep with the ones he wants until he chooses the final one. And i got to be honest with you, I wonder where Mordecai was in this. You know, don't read your Bibles and think that everybody is pure as the driven snow because I think Mordecai has failed in his role as her guardian father here. I mean, we, we read here in the text that Mordecai's pacing around like, I wonder what's going on with Esther and what she's in the palace, you know, and I wonder, is this the night when the king's going to sleep with her? I wonder how she's doing. I, wonder, I get this picture like he's wringing his hands and he's walking around the courtyard area and I'm wondering, Mordecai, why didn't you intervene and save this, this adopted daughter of yours from becoming just abused and taken advantage of by the most powerful man on the planet? So some of this, i got to be honest with you, some of the book of Esther, we're going to read through this and some of it is complicated. It is a bit complex. And the reason is in large part because this book describes some dark stuff. It describes a pagan, godless Persian culture. That's why we're going to read some stuff like we did in chapter 1 about a drunken dinner party out of control. We're going to read also in chapter 1 the dishonoring of a woman. Chapter 2, the mistreatment, the violation of virgin girls. We're also going to read about an assassination plot. And then the ultimate thing, obviously, of the book of Esther is a plan to annihilate. The most anti-Semitic thing is the annihilation of the Jewish people. There's a lot of darkness in this book. Now, it, it has a bright ending. But we're going to have to wade through some of this complex, complicated stuff in order to get the whole picture of God's providential care. And i got to be honest with you also and say that Esther herself is a rather complicated, complex person. You read different Bible commentaries, they're divided on the opinion about her. Why? Well, it's unmistakable that at the end of the story, she's a courageous, 
young woman whom God used in a wonderful, providential, miraculous way. And she's a heroine by the end of the story. Don't want to take any of that away from her. But early in the story, it's very confusing where she is in relation to God. Because God is not mentioned anywhere in the Bible, so we don't know where her heart is with God. We don't know where Mordecai's heart is with God. And it's very complex to try to discern it. The fact of the matter is, there's not a single reference in the book of Esther that she prays. There's not a single reference that she knows or quotes scripture. It tells us that she does not refuse the king's food, which is in violation of the dietary laws of scripture. And it tells us she doesn't want anybody to even know she's a Jew. Now, you translate all that to today. If all those things were to be said about any of us, you'd begin to wonder where they stood with the Lord. Well, I don't know if this person ever prays, never heard him pray. They don't even refer to prayer. I don't know if they read their Bibles. They've never quoted Bible, the Bible. I've never seen them read their Bible. They are engaging in certain things that the Bible says you aren't supposed to do. And they don't want anybody to know that they're a Christian. Wouldn't you wonder? So Esther's a little confusing here. I'm not throwing her under the bus. I'm just simply pointing out the reality. We don't know. And to make matters worse concerning the confusion about Esther, we have another book of the Bible that was written also about the same time period, about the Jewish exiles in Babylonia and Persia and life in the palace. It's the book Daniel. Very similar. Now, Daniel was at one generation ahead of Esther, but very similar in that he was also a teenager. He was also recruited into the palace where he served, Daniel tells us, not only the kings of of Babylon, but also a couple of the kings of Persia. He's in the palace, and yet in Daniel... It records how he prays in defiance of the king's order. It tells us he refuses the king's food because he wants it to be kosher. He doesn't want to defile himself by the king's food. He quotes the word of the Lord and prophesies about the word of the Lord. And he has no problem anybody knowing that he's a Jew. Same scenes. And yet, all of that is silent here with Esther. So it makes it very difficult to understand in some ways. Now, I'm going to give... My opinion and speculation, so take that with a grain of salt, okay? And it's dangerous whenever you try to read something that the Bible is silent about. But I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Esther and take the sum total of the book. And I'm personally convinced, you know, you can debate this with all the other Bible uh, scholars who, who are out there. I personally believe that she is a godly young woman whose faith is quiet but nonetheless real whose personality is reserved. We see that. She at times comes across timid, but nonetheless genuine, who is trying to please both the king, who has taken advantage of her as the most powerful man on the earth, and her older cousin Mordecai, who's like a father to her at the same time. She is not complicit in the whole sex thing with Xerxes in in the process of her selection. It was not consensual because the king was an older man, the most powerful man on the planet who basically stole her innocence in a contest to deflower young teenage girls. That's what that is about. So she, in that sense, was certainly not complicit. At times she appears lonely and scared in this book. At other times she appears brave and courageous. But in the end, God uses her to accomplish a great purpose, the saving of the Jewish people. Now, all of that is just somewhat speculative because nothing is said about her relationship with God throughout the book. 
But believing the best and giving the benefit of the doubt, the quality that I think stands out about Esther more than about just anything else is the way that she comes across in this story as one who just wants to be available for God to use. It is noteworthy that she never attempts to grab the glory. She's not vying for the queen's crown. She's not trying to get the promotion, the position, the prestige. She just is going to be faithful in whatever circumstance it is. Even if it's at the mistreatment of the most powerful man on the earth at this time. She's just going to be, just be faithful. I'm just going to, I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm just going to be faithful through, through thick and thin, through good and bad. She never grabs the glory. She just wants to be a faithful vessel where God has her. All right? And this is an important point, and it is the only takeaway from today's teaching. So if you miss anything else, hear this. When you pursue glory, you end up with misery. Look at her life. She didn't pursue glory. She gave glory to God. Even though, again, his name is not mentioned in the book, it's clear that she just wanted to be a faithful vessel. She didn't seek promotion. She didn't seek prestige. She didn't seek power, but it was brought to her. And it was brought to her because God providentially wanted to use her for his glory. But when we end up pursuing glory for ourselves, we end up experiencing misery. Let me give you some examples just from the story. Contrast the life of Esther with, for example, the life of King Xerxes. If you go back to chapter 1, look at one verse from chapter 1, verse 4. Notice again what it says in verse 4 of chapter 1. It says, For a full 180 days he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. 180 days. That's six months, gang. For six months, he has an open house. He wants everybody around Persia to come and just see his palace, his possessions, his prestige, his power. Look at me. I want to display the glory of my majesty. And how did it turn out for Xerxes? Not very well. Because after this whole drink, drunken dinner party and then the refusal of his wife because his request was illegitimate, he goes off to war, stomping off to trying to regain his glory again because his pride had been wounded and insulted and his little ego was so fragile and broken. He goes out, tries to slaughter a few thousand Greeks to make himself look good. In the end, what happens? He ends up defeated and humiliated even worse than when he got there. Because now the whole world knows that he's a loser. And when he goes back to the citadel of Persia, he hangs his head in defeat. He's miserable. Because why? Here was a guy who pursued glory. I want you to look at my palace, my stuff, my possessions. And then when that didn't work, I'm going to go off to war and I'm going to kill some people. And then everybody will know how great I am. And that didn't work. He ends up back in the palace. And history tells us, Herodotus writes about how a few years later he will be assassinated by the captain of his own royal bodyguard. With the assistance of the king's chief eunuch. Isn't that a sad commentary on your life? The most powerful man killed by a eunuch. How sad does that sound? That's his life, though, because he pursued glory and he ended up with misery. Look at, for example, Haman. We have just a brief introduction to him today in chapter 3. But we have enough to know that this is a guy who pursued glory. He gets a promotion from King Xerxes. It all goes to his head. What does he want everybody to do? Bow down to me. Notice how good I am, how great I am, how powerful I am. Recognize my position, my prestige, my honor. Mordecai would fold his arms and say, I ain't bowing down to you. 
I'm a Jew, you're an Agagite. An Agagite was a descendant of King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. They were perennial enemies of the Israelites. Mordecai says, I'm only going to, he infers, I'm only going to bow down to God. I'm not going to bow down to an enemy of Israel. And when he refuses to bow down, Haman comes unglued. And what does he do? He hates Mordecai and he hates the people that Mordecai represents. He's Jewish. He hates the Jewish people. He hates the God of the Jewish people. So he, he initiates this plot to exterminate the Jews. Well, spoiler alert, the Jews end up getting saved and Haman ends up getting hanged. Why? Because when you pursue glory, you end up with misery. Story after story after story like this in the Bible. Korah in Numbers chapter 16, who said about himself, you know what, Moses is no big shot, I am. I should be just as glorious as Moses. And he started talking like this and recruiting people against Moses. He wanted glory. He wanted power. He wanted prestige. Until one day God said to Moses in Numbers 16, Mo, stand back, I'm going to open up the earth and swallow up Korah like a burrito. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Why? Because the guy who pursued glory ended up experiencing misery. 1 Samuel 15, King Saul, the first king of Israel. What a wonderful position, except that it wasn't enough for Saul. He said, I also want to act like a priest from time to time. So he started slaughtering a few animals. Samuel the prophet shows up and says, what is this bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the cattle that I hear in my ears? Saul's like, no big deal. I just started a sacrifice because you were a little late. He says, well, sorry, God has now ripped the kingdom from you because you are a rebellious man who sought glory and he's going to give it to another who is a man after God's own heart. King Uzziah, the same way, 2 Chronicles 26. He comes out into the temple, says, I know I'm king of Judah, but I feel like acting like a priest today because I have enough glory and honor that I should be able to do that. Waltzes in with some incense in a censer. The other priests are mortified. You're not supposed to be in here. This is only for the priests. I don't care. I'm Uzziah. And at that moment, what does God do? Breaks him out with leprosy from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. The priests hurry him out. He ends up spending the rest of his life in solitary confinement, quarantined because of his leprosy in a solitary house of his own. Why? Because he sought the glory and it ended up in misery. King Herod Agrippa I of Acts chapter 12 in Caesarea was coming out in his royal robes, glistening in the sun, the Bible tells us. And all the people said, wow, he's like a god. And instead of Herod Agrippa saying, no, 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 you give glory to the only true and living God, he took it for himself. He touched the glory and God killed him dead on the spot. Why? Because when you pursue glory, you end up with the misery. Esther is a woman who didn't pursue anything, not in the sense of promoting self. She didn't seek power, prestige. But you know what? God brought it to her. And God brought it to her because as a vessel, God understood that she would always put him on display, not herself. So he gave her the power, prestige, and position that she didn't even seek. And God will do that for us. When he knows that he will be most glorified through our lives, he will promote you. But the moment we steal the glory from him and touch it for ourselves, he will demote us. He will remove us. He will use someone else. Because Psalm 115 verse 1 says, Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you be all the glory. When we violate that, it does not go well with us. When we pursue glory for ourselves, we only end up with the misery. 
Esther understood this. I'm just going to be a faithful vessel where God has me, and I'll let God promote, I'll let God bring me whatever he wants so that he can be most glorified through my life. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been taking us through the book of Esther, the story of a young orphan in a foreign land who was made queen and then used by God to save the Israelites. This book is such a great encouragement when we face hardships and trials. Was today's message encouraging to you? Do you want to share it with your friends? Today's teaching and a collection of other messages can be found on our mobile app through our podcast or online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find so much information on our website, including companion resources from Pastor Gary to dig deeper into his studies on a variety of topics. We'd also invite you to check out the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to invite you to join us for weekly services. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to dig deeper into God's Word and worship Him for all He's done and is yet to do. Find directions and service times at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. We pray you feel God's presence in your own life today as you draw closer to Him. Join us again for more on Esther's incredible story right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.